What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up, the Phillies podcast. Anthony Sanfilippo's here. I'm Bob Wankel. Anthony, bring in right off the jump here. The Phillies are rolling. They go down to Tampa Bay after this big month of June, and then they kind of they go back home, Citizens Bank Park, the Washington Nationals, who stink. You lose two out of three. Oh, here we go. Now they got to go to Tampa. And what do they do? They turn around and they sweep the Rays. The first time the Rays have been swept in 2023. Tampa Bay does not lose at home. They score a ton of runs at home. And the Phillies dominate them this week. They absolutely dominate the Tampa Bay Rays. They're eight games over 500. They hold a playoff spot. This team going to the World Series, man? Look, Bob, I, you know, I, I tell people at the beginning of the year, don't get too down when they're struggling. I'm not going to tell people to get too high when they're doing well. Ah, I'm come on, lie. come on, but, man. But what I will say that is the, the thing that I have been been sticking to all season is the Phillies are easily one of the top teams in the sport, in my mind. I mean, Atlanta is still ahead of them, right? And then we'll, we'll see what, what comes out of that American League. The Dodgers are kind of waffling a little bit. I know they won last night, but – you know, I'm starting to question where they are in the ranking of things. I certainly think the Phillies are a top five team in baseball. And if you're a top five team in the sport, do you have a chance to go to the World Series? Absolutely, you do. I, I don't, but I don't want anybody to sit there and think that I'm only saying that because they're playing well right now. I've been, I've been bullish, as you know, about this team since day one, and I still believe, because especially because of their pitching, um, that they that they will be a a hard out come October for any team, including at the Atlanta Braves. They'll be a t- they'll be the toughest opponent the Braves could potentially face in the, in October. You go back to late May when things were at rock bottom yeah. and or at least we were at the time hoping they were at rock bottom and they were uh, as it turns out. Uh, and we said, you know, I don't know what it is. I still think they're going to make the playoffs. You, you kind of have to hold your nose a little bit. It's not a great national league. They'll find a way on on talent, on on experience, on who else is going to make it, right? And and what we've seen over the last five or six weeks is the National League played pretty well. And so we know that it's probably going to take more than, than 83, 84 wins. Like, I don't think you're going to necessarily be able to back in. But this team now is playing on that 88, 89 win pace that we sort of expected at the start. And really, when you start to look out and you see the schedule here, the second half of July, especially in August, all the home games, if I said to you right now, over under 90 and a half wins, uh, do you take the over under on that? Because I think just with what we've seen with the pitching, and we'll I'll, we'll dive into this in greater detail, and there's some numbers I want to get to. You look at the way that both the rotation and now this bullpen, which we've been, to use your word, bullish on from the start, are sort of working together. There's a cohesiveness now. I start to say, man, like they might be able to extend win streaks for you know multiple times here over the final two and a half months. Uh, yeah, and so you set the number at right. It, you're, you could tell that you're a betting guy, right? Because you set the number perfectly. Um, I will take the over, but only barely. Like, I, like if you would have made it ninety-one and a half, I may have gone under. So ninety and a half, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over because I have them think in my head. I think they're a ninety-one win team. Um, going through the rest of the way, looking at the schedule, I think that that's where they'll end up. Um, but I'm only slightly over. I'm not super, you know, uber confident. Like they're oh, 94, 95. They're not. I'm not certain that they're gonna get that far. But ninety-one, I think they can get to for sure. 
Well, what's interesting is if you go back to June 3rd now, the Phillies are 22 and 7 in their last 29 games. Yeah. And just to kind of set the the overall picture here, they've moved into that final wild card spot. As you mentioned, you start to look at some of the teams in that race, and I think you feel good about where the Phillies are in relation to those other teams uh, moving forward. It is amazing, though. The, the one variable here that, that you just kind of go, like it just it, it takes a little bit of the oomph off of this, is that in that time in which they've gone 22-7, and seven, they've lost three games in the standings to the Braves. So you go back when they were at 25-32, and 32, they're, they're eight games back. Well, now here they are eight games over 500 and they're 11 games back. And so I think you have to kind of write off the division moving forward. Atlanta's probably going to win 105 games, maybe more. And uh, I guess what I want to ask you, because we're going to get into the race series. There's so much to talk about. It was such a good series. And there were so many different players and, and things to highlight. But just big picture, when you look at the way this thing is going to stack up, if you're the Phillies, what's the goal here now? Because, so I ran, and here's a little, a strange anecdote. So on the 4th of July, we run this thing called the Beer Mile. Are you familiar with what a beer mile is? Yeah, I'm assuming it's when you go from bar to bar down the street. No, no, no. It's actually, literally, you run a race. Oh. And it's, you you chug a beer. It's got to be 5% or more. You chug a beer and you run a quarter mile. Then you chug another beer. And you run a quarter mile and you do this four times to, to do four <laughs> beers and a mile. And my friends are like awesome at this. Like I have a couple guys that are like big time track and, and field guys and big time drinkers too. So they're perfectly programmed for this. So they did my one buddy did it in like eight minutes the other day. We do it on the 4th of July every year, three o'clock in the afternoon. It's balls hot. He did it in eight minutes. It's crazy. I did it in 11 minutes and 40 seconds. And I was pretty proud of myself. Like that's, that's pretty good, man. Like a, against the rest of the human population. It would take me 1140 to go the first quarter mile. Yeah, but like, so we've done this now for, yeah, I know. Actually, we have a couple of people out there running it that, that run at that pace too. But we have like 20 people that do this now. And the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this up is because every year, like I'm pretty good, but I'm not elite and I'm not in that, that like lower tier group. And I end up the final two laps running against myself. Like I'm just out there on this island. There's nobody on my hip. I'm not chasing after everybody. I'm just, I'm all, I'm all by myself. And when I look at the Phillies and the way that, that this thing might kind of move heading forward, like they're not going to catch the Braves, but you, you think, and I know that they're not ultra secure in their position at the moment, but you kind of see a scenario where if you start talking about them being a 90-win team, they're obviously going to make the playoffs at that point. So, like, how does this team... Like, what is this team's goal? Like, who are they r running this race against a, a month from now? And I guess I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but that is the one thing. I'm like, how do you consume the Phillies for the next two months, given where they're at? Yeah, it's a good question. And and I here's there's a, there's a couple ways to answer this. Um, I think ultimately you're probably right that they're probably going to end up on a little bit of an island. Um, but I think it's going to take a little bit of time to get to that island that island might be in September. Like we might go into September going, okay, we know we're in the playoffs. Just get through the next month healthy. Don't, you know, keep playing good baseball. Don't, don't sag. Don't, you know, give some of this back, whatever. But at the same time, you know, make sure people aren't overused or, or whatever. So I think that there, that could be a scenario for the Phillies, but until you get to that point, this, this race is going to be a race. 
I mean, the Marlins right. aren't going away quick. You know, the Dodgers aren't going away quick. Uh, it looks like the the Giants are going to be able to hang around a little bit. The Brewers, you know, those teams are going to hang your around. Your Diamondback skepticism may be yeah, well founded at this point. Is I mean, just they, not good. they they were absolutely dusted by the Mets this week at home, and then I I don't know what's going to come of the uh, Corbin Carroll uh, situation. Yeah, that but injury. I'm sure, you saw last night late. He uh, had an awkward swing and had to exit the game. It looks like he's going to get an MRI today. So uh, that would obviously have a major impact on, on their standing. And I don't want people listening to this to sit here and say, well, man, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. Like, you're, you're going to jinx these guys. Like, they're, they're on a nice run right now, but let's not pencil the Phillies oh, no. in for 92 wins. And, a, and I get it. I get that. But I am looking ahead and saying, well, they can't catch the Braves. So – how do they want to slot in? Do they want to be the six seed? Do they want to be the four seed? How do you do it? Well, obviously, you want to be the – in all honesty, you would want to be the six. I mean, if you were looking for the best playoff path, you go through go through the NL Central champion, which is probably going to – probably going to be the Reds. Who knows? Um, but you go through there, you know, that path first. Um, but I, – I, and then it's bracketed, remember? So you would get whoever wins the West in the second round, and then you would have – don't want to have to face the Braves until the NLCS. But part of me also thinks if you get to four or five and you can win that first series, it might be better to face the Braves in a five-game series as opposed to a seven-game series because it really right. helps you with your pitching advantage, right, in, in that spot. But here's the thing, Bob. They've gone 22-7. and seven. Look at those seven losses. With the exception of the 9 nothing loss to the Dodgers, they could have won the other six. They were all in one-run games for most of the time. They were. They could have. It's crazy to think that they could have been. That I mean, obviously, a couple of their wins probably were a little bit lucky. We also, you also get that. So it kind of evens out. But it's amazing to think that they they could have won twenty-eight of these twenty-nine games. It's wow. crazy. So and and the other thing, the other way of looking at what what's ahead for this team is you. Even though you're not going to catch the Braves. There's nothing wrong with continuing to force them to play. Sure. Right? I, I, I totally agree. Because the, the Braves don't want you to get back into the race. So continue to force the Braves to to play like they have to win games. That helps Well, this you. weekend, this weekend is, is kind of interesting because you have three more games until the All-Star break, and you have the Rays and Braves. And listen, Tampa Bay it should be – the Rays, like, they, they should be quite ready to play this weekend. Like, they they should have, like, the Braves should warrant the Rays' attention. Like, the Rays have something to kind of play for this weekend after what happened against the Phillies. So, if, let's say, Tampa Bay were to win two out of three and the Phillies win two out of three, it's like, it's a 10. Like, do I expect a sweep both ways? No. Like, I don't think that the Braves are going to get swept in Tampa Bay. I think the Braves are significantly better than the Rays also yep. uh, for what it's worth. And I don't think that the Phillies are going to sweep the Marlins. But the point being, like, you're always one series away or two series away from the dynamic changing a little bit. So, and, and that can work against you as well. Like, Phillies go down to the Miami this weekend and get sleepy and, and get run out of the building by a Marlins team that's playing with a lot of energy right now. Then, then we're not gushing over where they're at and what they've done come Monday morning. But... You know, if the Phillies say, like, we have one really, really good week and Atlanta just in inevitably goes into that slip up and you shave three or four games off of this thing and then you're back at seven or eight, like, you can at least, like, tinker or toy with the idea of 
maybe, maybe we can get back into this. I don't see it. Uh, you know, go back to March. You and I have both been all in on the Braves. I just don't feel that that's in the cards for this team. But you are always a series or two away with extreme outcomes of kind of finding yourself back at least within within distance. Like you can see them as you're you're running the beer mile. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing. I mean, I, I think it's worth it's worth continuing to put that pressure on the Look, you don't play them again until September, right? So you're not you're not gonna have a chance to really make up ground head to head. But wouldn't you know, even if you even if you get it to within six, let's just say, or five yeah. games, and then you've got the Braves coming up at, at that point. Does that make it interesting at that point? Do you really do they start to do the Braves start to feel, hey, these Phillies are coming? Like we don't want well, to see this would, team. It would be interesting if you get to that that September 11th. I believe that's when they play the double header against the Braves. Yeah. Like if you got to that day at home and those games meant something, where maybe even the Phillies are five games out starting the day, and you're like, if they sweep them here, yeah, you know, <laughs> exactly. And then all of a sudden, like this could get strange. And is that realistic? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But it's not impossible to to shave this thing down five or six games over the next six weeks. Six weeks. Yeah. I mean, that is not an impossibility. It's you know, at some point, I don't think that the Braves are going to run off twenty four out of twenty eight. You know, there's going to be, and the Phillies are going to go through it too. And right. that's why I guess in the long run, I I don't expect them to really get back into it, but it's possible. And that is the bitch of those two losses to the Braves. You know, I'm not going to sit here and pick apart what the Phillies have done since June 3rd. But, man, like you go back two winnable games, and instead of being 11 out right now, maybe you're 7 out right now. If you win those two instead of lose those two, and, you know, that that does – it kind of makes you you wonder a little bit. Yeah, and and, see, that's the thing too, Bob. I think that the Phillies play against the Braves maybe better than any other team has played against the Braves this year. They split those four games in Atlanta. Yeah, they lose. Oh, the the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's, I think, have the Braves number too. (laughs) (laughs) Then they lose the two here, but they should have, could have won both, right? So, like, I look at it and say, you know, those games could could be interesting in September. And you only have to really make up, what, a game a week to make those, to make those interesting. So, I mean, you know, you don't, you don't have to be, you don't have to be sensational. You just have to be good. And, and you well, can make up a game a week. Uh, only I can do this. I've gotten us so far off track, but I am getting somewhere with all these hypotheticals. Like I'm, I'm trying to lead into not only is it what are you playing for? Like you said, the ideal scenarios probably have the sixth seed because of the path and the teams that they would match up against. But what about being that first wild card yeah. and, and a red October? We're at home and, and getting yourself those those games in front of the fans at Citizens Bank Park. I mean, to me, I think that ultimately that is going to be the goal here and what if i what if i said to you bob that that's what's going to happen i think that <laughs> that's what, it's it very that's what i think is going to happen yeah but then it turns into a philosophical question so a what's the goal but then off of that b how do you proceed then in terms of what you do ahead of the trade deadline and this will lead us into what we saw last night with christopher sanchez who was awesome and who's been awesome since he's been recalled or called back up in his four starts with the Phillies. We spent so much time talking about a fifth starter. He's given you more than that, that typical fifth starter production since he's been back. We know what the deficiencies are with this team. You, you know you want to get Kyle Schwarber off his feet a little bit. You, you're going to keep him in the lineup. He's probably going to continue to hit leadoff. We're going to continue to go through the highs and lows with Kyle Schwarber. And that's fine. You accept that. 
But what do they do? Because you can't go all in. You can't go like, hey, we're going to mortgage the – like the Phillies aren't going to do that. We know they're not going to do that regardless of their position. But it's especially difficult to do that when you're talking about a three-game wild card series as the, the likely outcome. It's, it's not like you're automatically going to have a buy. You're not, you're not guaranteed anything. So you can't – like does that – does that dictate the level of aggressiveness with which you approach the deadline? Like, and and I think we've talked about like what are they, what do they need? But what do you ultimately? What do you think they're going to do? They got. I guess is the they're going to add. To the, they're going to add to the lineup. They're going to add bats. I mean, I, I think that that's it's a foregone conclusion. Keep in mind, there's another thing that I wanted to point out from this race series, and I think that this maybe is an indicator of where they're headed uh, with this question. They had several opportunities in this series to bat for guys with, you know, bench players and chose not to. Chose to stick with who was in the lineup. And now what I mean by that is is they could have gone to anybody, any of the right-handers on the bench, whether it was Harrison or Pache or Sosa, um, and they didn't. They stuck with Marsh against the lefty. They stuck with Derek Hall against the lefty. Marsh came through with that big hit the other night, you know, two out single to kind of spread, you know, make the, the, the spread eight to four uh, in a closer game. Hall hits the home run off of Diekman. Um, you know, so they, they stuck with the lefties and it worked. And it makes you wonder really where the confidence level is in the right-handed guys on this on this team at this point. I mean, obviously, Pache is fine. I mean, he's going to be your your fourth outfielder because of his de- defense, and he can hit some le- hit lefties. Um, but I w- I'm wondering where Sosa and Harrison are at this juncture that they weren't even a, a thought for Rob Thompson. Right. So I think that you're going to see them go for right-handed bats, preferably one with power that they could play in left field with regularity, assuming Harper can play first base and make Kyle Schwarber your DH. So what does that look like? Is it is it a single move? Is it is there a scenario where like I'll get to Jake Cave in a minute too, but like it's getting hard to ignore what's happening in Lehigh Valley. And and I'm not saying that this guy's going to come up. Like we have a tendency, I think, to do this sometimes. Like, oh man, like that, that production is just going to simply translate if they bring him up. And he could be a solution in left field when Schwarber's DHing and Harper's playing uh, first base if, if that's the way this thing progresses. If they're facing right handed pitching, think about that. Now you get Cave in the lineup, and now, you know, Harper goes to first, and now Schwarber's off his feet. And like that could be fun. Um, is this like a matter of identifying a a bat that is more of a platoon bat that maybe doesn't feel as splashy, but it because they have so many other pieces and because they have this surplus of left-handed production, you really just dial in and say, maybe we don't have to go out and get a big name difference maker that you just plug in the heart of the order and, and let them, let them rip. We can be a little bit cuter about our target. Or do you think that, yeah, like, listen, it's about, it's, it's still the same profile, but we need to go get a guy that like is a, a true difference maker, not a guy that just gives you that, that bump situationally or that bump in a matchup. Yeah. I, I think that that's fair. And, you know, that's why I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago when um, Scott Lauber had put a story in the Inquirer where he suggested a guy like Adam Duvall 
might be a nice nice play for the Phillies, you right. know. And and you know, there's a right-handed bat uh, who can play in all three outfield positions. He's pretty good defensively. Oh, and he has some power, right? So that that could be a situation where you look at a guy like like Duval, and then you say if you if you call up Cave now again, this is this would be replacing Derek Hall. So you assume Harper can play first. Hall goes back down. You call up Cave, and now you have a left-handed uh, left field platoon of of Cave and Duval, for example. Um, I think I do think Cave ends up on on this team at some point, if for no other reason that he'd be a nice left-handed pinch hitting option, right? Um, but so, do you think that? So, so let me just break this out into two separate questions, yeah. and then maybe we'll get to like a, a final thought on it. You look at a guy like Duval. He's hitting 308 against lefties this year, uh, 896 against left-handed pitching. He's a, a unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. He's making $7 million. He's, he's not terribly expensive. You don't have to worry about commitments beyond this season. Um, so that, that makes some sense. But then again, like you look at where the Red Sox are at, and I know they're in last place in the American League East. There's a ton of teams involved in the wildcard race. But as we talk right now, they're three games out of a wildcard spot. So like, to what degree are the Red Sox going to be motivated to sell off? They're not alone. I mean, they're the Boston Red Sox. Like there's a, a an expectation to compete. There's a, you know, I don't think anybody had thought that they had World Series aspirations this year, but it, it would be kind of strange if the Red Sox were within a handful of games at the deadline and said, all right, see you later. We're calling off the dogs here. Like that, I don't know that that, because the player profile makes perfect sense. Yeah, well, and I what, think that, and if, look, if that's not a viable option because of that very reason, then, but that's the kind of player I think that you're talking about, right. that that's, that's who the Phillies are going to be looking for. I ultimately think it's going to be an outfielder that's right-handed who can hit the ball out of the ballpark and, and doesn't kill you defensively. I mean, I think that's So the are, are we now penciling in Bryce Harper as this team's first baseman from – the the middle of July onward through well, however far this team goes. Well, is that it, what's it, it, to me, it's certainly from July fifteenth to August first. <laughs> oh well, no doubt, no right. doubt. It's so those two weeks. About this, you have to you have to see if he can a physically hold up, which I think they that he will. Yeah. But b can he can he play the position? And that is, I think, the unknown variable in all of this. I'm really curious to see what they do because they they do have the option to go about this basically three different ways. You can target a third baseman, you can target a first baseman, or you can target that that left field option as you spoke about. Like they do have some flexibility in this. And I'm sure that Bryce Harper wants to play first base. I would be really curious in some hypothetical where the Phillies see the trade market kind of come together and they say, hey, Bryce, like we, we get it, but we have an opportunity to bring in stud first baseman here we just feel better if you're DHing down the stretch like I wonder what that conversation would look like and I don't think that they're going to address it in that fashion but just kind of throwing out that idea of like what would they do if yeah no it's certainly it's certainly a possibility I mean I think that that's you know maybe not plan a but it could be plan b or in plan c and may end up being the best plan of all. I mean, if it turns out to be that that's the kind of player that you're getting, well, right? You start dancing around like we've heard the Paul Goldschmidt name again and again and again. And I mean, the, the Cardinals are done. Like I, we talked about this for the first time about two weeks ago. And I yeah. said, let's check back in about two weeks to see if the Cardinals are truly dead. Well, the, the Cardinals are truly dead. So he, he could be moved. And and I know they may not move him, but that's a name that everyone's going to circle and, and drool over for the next three weeks here. 
And I just, I'm kind of curious if not him, if there was another opportunity to go out and add a difference maker there, how they might approach it. Um, you mentioned Derek Hall though, and you're, you're talking about Derek Hall kind of like he, he may not be long for this team, at least in the short term because of the roster fit. Like if Harper goes to first base, Derek Hall isn't going to play outfield for you. You don't need a left-handed power hitting DH. You want him to get consistent at bats. Like, so he probably goes back down. Do you think that he's a guy that comes back up in September? Now, remember, the, the roster expansion in September isn't as significant as it used to be. It used to be anybody on the 40-man could just come up and play those those final 30 days. So I think it goes to 28, so they might add a bat at that point. Like, Is that where you see him coming back up maybe as, like a, as a, a, a bench option at that point? Or do you just think Derek Hall is like truly not a factor here beyond the next two weeks? Well, so usually in the so here's the thing with the 28, right? And it's really kind of interesting. You only, that's only two players more than you have yeah. now, right? Yeah. I assume one of them is going to be Noah Song. Okay. Unless they unless they trade him. Um Well, they have to get him up here before that, do they not? Well, is, so, do, do they not so, have to roster him by July 28th, I think? So actually in all in all truth, like if you wanted if you wanted it to be 90 days, it had to be the 4th of July. So the fact that he's okay. not up here tells me that 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 thing that I saw on Twitter a few weeks back that says that you can actually port over those 90 days into next season mm-hmm. because of the injury that he's had and he's been on the 60-day DL. Um, I, I don't think he needs to be here for 90 days, but I think once his uh, rehab assignment, which he has started, is over, unless there's another injury during the rehab assignment, he has to come onto the roster. Or, yeah, or, I, I or think the 20 weeks is the deadline on that uh, because I think that the rehab assignment ends at the back end of July, at which yeah. point they would have to roster him. And then you'd have to carry him for basically, what, 33 days to September 1, which, by the way, they've now occupied a roster spot with Dylan Covey for 40 days, so that really shouldn't be all that hard. I mean, right, right. <laughs> you've basically burned a roster spot for five weeks as it is, so I'm not really concerned about their ability to do that if they want to move in that direction. Right, so so I would assume he's one of those guys. And then usually you bring up a third catcher, right? I mean, they did it last year. Um, usually you have a third catcher as your as your other guy just to kind of just have options, you know, you know, w- with rest and uh, if in case of injury, you don't have to go to the emergency guy, whatever. Um, so that's usually the way that teams go. So I, I don't know. I don't know that Derek Hall's a, a yeah. September one guy, unless there's an injury somewhere else and somebody's out, then probably, I mean, but I think he might be player 29 in all honesty at this point. Um, Again, what they do on August 1st will, will dictate that a little bit. We'll probably have a better read on where he fits into the uh, grand scheme of things come that yeah. day. But, yeah, as it stands right now, I would think that he would be the 29th guy, if that makes sense. If he's not a part of that immediate plan, you know, beyond beyond right now, and we'll see what happens at the deadline, do you think as they're going through the math and trying to make this all fit, uh, d- does he maybe become somebody that they say, well, listen, th- he doesn't make a ton of sense on this roster right now. He carries some value. I mean, some team may look at him and say he provides some power from yeah, the left I, side. I, know, I, know I, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to say that I, I, one, one thing I don't want to do is, is overvalue, you know, 
I, I don't want to overvalue. Like we, people do this with trade scenarios all the time when they're talking about the teams they follow, teams that, that, that they're they're looking at. And they say like, well, well, Derek Hall. Like, how can you not get Derek Hall in the lineup? And if you can't get him in the lineup, then you he's got to be an important trade chip, right? Like, if he doesn't fit though, can you leverage him in, into a trade potentially? You think like, yeah. Is there a scenario here where there's a player that we've watched play for this team in 2023 at the major league level might be part of a trade going out at this point? Yes. I'm I'm glad you brought it up because I do think that that's I do think that's realistic and I, I think that they're hopeful that he shows some signs here you know while he's on the roster that he shows some signs of yeah this is a big league player maybe not an everyday player but a big league player you know getting a home run off of a left-handed hitter he was he entered that at bat against Diekman one for twenty in his major league career against lefties. And so then he get, he gets the home run, right? And so you look at that, that's good, right? If maybe he can get a few hits. He had an RBI single the other night. That's good. You know, show some productivity, show some ability at this level. I, I think that that maybe gets, you know, okay. I mean, it's maybe not the primary guy in a trade, but hey, you could put him into a trade for sure, yeah. you know, and, and have him be a, a valuable person in that, in that deal. So, yeah, I, I think you're spot on with that, Bob. It's just very it's it's just going to be so interesting to watch how these next few weeks play out and the Bryce Harper first base thing is such a big part of how they're going to move forward so there's plenty of intrigue as you watch this thing unfold. Now let's kind of get back to where where I I think I if if I was if I'm being honest with you I would have started the show with the the Rays series and probably did our last 25 minutes after it but I got excited I guess. Um yep. here we are we watch Christopher Sanchez, and since he's come back up in these four starts he's made with the Phillies, he's thrown 21 innings. He has a 2-1-4 ERA. Opponents hitting 221 against him. And I think the biggest thing is he's only walked two batters in, in these four appearances since he's been back. And he's obviously given this team a massive boost. We know the hole that they had in that part of the rotation, like a lot of teams have. So is he the fifth starter at this point? Like we're talking about what the Phillies need to do in, in terms of addressing the offense. Has he done enough to just hold down this spot and hey, we do not need to, we do not need to trade additional resources, additional prospects to find a stopgap guy for the next 10 weeks. Where are we at here? Um I think he can hold it down for a little while at least. And and who knows if he continues to pitch the way he's pitched, of course, he can hold it down even beyond that. I think I think each start is another test for him, right? I mean, so, you know, it's it's kind of hard to predict what the Phillies are going to do uh, with the rotation coming off of the All-Star game. You know, you always get a reset there and, you know, what order is it going to be in? But I kind of think Sanchez is going to be one of the guys throwing uh, the doubleheader next Saturday against the Padres. It just makes sense because they have an off day on Monday after that series, right? They have a three-game series, and then, then there's an off day, and then they play, what, like nine in a row before their next off day. So I think that Sanchez probably gets throws in that uh, doubleheader spot, so he's going to face the Padres. Um, and then he probably doesn't pitch again till Cleveland. And then after that, you got Pittsburgh. So you're, you're going to get three more teams – that currently, I mean, I think the Padres still can kind of get themselves back into things maybe, but three teams that are currently not great uh, in his next three starts, that's it before the before the deadline. 
if he goes through those three starts, Bob, and he's just as good as he's been, well, then there's no reason to trade for a fifth start. Not that I think that there's a reason to really trade for one anyway, but but the fact of the matter is, is he can solidify it enough that he can hold it into August. And then if you get to the point and, you know, who knows at this juncture, I mean, Painter's had stiffness again. He's had this before. It's part of the rehab from this injury. Nola talked about that back in March. He said that there are times when you feel stiff, you know, during the recovery. It's it's typical. It's normal. It's not like there's a, a setback by any stretch of the imagination. But if if you're if you're thinking you might want to give Painter a couple starts here before the end of the year, that's fine. But I think Sanchez can maybe hold it until you get to that. And then if not. Okay, then Sanchez can re, re, you know take back over again in September. But you, how many times are you going to need the number five starter in September? Three, right? You know what I'm saying. So like, that that really is the question: Are you comfortable with either Sanchez straight through or Sanchez with the possibility maybe? And I'm becoming a little bit skeptical about this, uh, if I'm being honest. Whether or not it's a setback, I, I understand the medicals. I don't know. Would I be blown away if Andrew Painter doesn't start a game for the Phillies this year? I, I I wouldn't be, I guess. So are you comfortable with that combination or that potential there versus going out and, and taking a, a top 10 prospect to get a guy like, I don't know, insert journeyman fifth starter type here at, at the back of your rotation? Look, if you want to get a guy that is that can serve in a dual role, in the sense of they could start, but also could relieve as a long reliever. Fine, as long as it doesn't, as long as it's not costing you anything of of major value, right? As long as you're not taking somebody to go, oh man, like I wanted to see that kid eventually come up and, and give it a shot, right? If you're if you're not doing anything crazy, but then yeah, go right ahead. But when you look at the, when you look at the bullpen, I'll use the word depth here. I don't want to fixate over Andrew Bellotti, but like he hasn't given up a run since May. And then you have Connor Brogdon, who, listen, has, has thrown big outs for this team at different points. In the if, World if Series, for, for God's sake. Yeah, like if you're well. looking though, for, for that type of pitcher where you're like, oh, a hybrid that could start a game for us if we needed to, like you do have Matt Strom who can, can fill that role. You push him back up on an as-needed basis, and then you factor in a guy like Bellotti and say, like, okay, and we still have two lefties in the pen because we have Soto and Alvarado. Like, I... I I don't know. I just don't know at this point if the, the fifth starter, which is crazy because if you go back six weeks ago, you're like, oh, oh my God, they they need to they need to find some solution here. I don't know that you address this at this point unless, unless, and, and I will continue to, to, to throw out this scenario, you have the opportunity to add a, a difference maker who could start a postseason game for you then it's kind of interesting because you do have to ask yourself the question, am I fully confident in the combination of Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, Walker? And I do wonder, like, let me just throw this out to you. We saw obviously Ranger Suarez was not particularly sharp on Sunday against the Nationals. I'm not particularly concerned by that. You're going to have those starts from time to time. Taiwan Walker was not great the other night in Tampa, but to his credit, figured it out. Still gave them length. Still still got a win. Still kept that raise lineup general in check. Are you cool with those four guys? Or if I said to you, hey, there's an opportunity to, and I can't, I'm not going to give you a name, but if I said, here's a guy that you could say, 
when you got to a game two, I have Aaron Nolan, I have this guy. I feel really good about either one. So now I have the other one pitching game three, and then I can decide to do whatever I want. With well, you, and you, you could get create. You could get creative. I mean, I yeah. I mean, look, if that's the case, if you're talking about a big name, you know, starter for the playoffs. I mean, you saw the role that Suarez played last year in the playoffs. Like right. he could do anything. The guy would. The guy became could start a game. He could close a game. He can come in in key spots in the middle of a game. Right. I mean, so yeah. I mean, if it gives you that kind of flexibility to be to maneuver around come the postseason by all means do it but again i'm not making it the priority in the sense that i don't want to give up top prospects for that player because it it, it, to me it's not a major need at this point if you could do it like get a guy who's on a you know uh, he's a ufa after the season and you know all right let me let me give you one let me give you one did you watch lance lynn yesterday he pitched well Hey, blew the doors off that that Blue Jays lineup, yeah, right? Pitched well. Would you trade? Would you trade Griff McGarry, who walked six batters in four innings last night, for Lance Lynn right now? That's the that's the deal. I call you. I'm um, the White Sox. I say I really like his arm. I know he's not throwing strikes. We don't need Lance Lynn. He would start a playoff game for you, probably, maybe. Um, would you do that deal? No. Okay. No. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's, not, it's a debatable. No, I'm not I disagree with you. Yeah, but, it's debatable. I, but I mean, okay. Yeah, I like. I think. I, I think if I'm going to move McGarry or Abel, I want to get what the team needs more, and I, I, I still believe that the team needs sure lineup hitters more than and, pitching. And that's where I'm. That's why I'm. I'm asking this under the premise of. You know, the market's the market. And if, if the difference-making piece that you can get ends up being a pitcher and it, it that, that bat that you really want or that you covet doesn't come to you, you kind of like – to me, I think you have to do something. And so even if you're adding to a position of a seeming strength or, you know, a position that's seemingly a strength right now, I, I'm almost kind of like, well, all right, double down and do it. I, yeah. I think this team needs – and I'm not saying Lance Lynn is that guy. I mean, you can kind of even shrug and say, like, I don't know. Does Lance Lynn in particular truly excite you? But I, I just feel like you need to add another difference maker somewhere. And I hope it's offensively. But if it's not, then maybe I have to be a little bit creative and, well, and go all in on that. Let's consider – Just go, let's go back a year, Bob, and, and consider what Dombrowski did last year at the deadline or approaching the deadline. He added four pieces. At the, you know, last year, right up to the deadline, they were Sosa, Marsh, uh, Cindergaard, and Robertson. That's four players that he brought onto a team that made it to yeah. the World Series. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of the the route he tries to go again, where you add to the bench, add an everyday position player, add a back end of the rotation starter, and add a bullpen arm. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he did the same thing again this year. Maybe one less. Maybe you feel a little bit more comfortable with your bullpen depth this year. Maybe you don't add that bullpen arm, right? But then maybe that's right. the one that you don't do. But I think that certainly the other three possibilities are are right there. And I think that that's – but I, I think you got to look at what's the most important of the three. And I think the most important of the three is the, is the bat in the lineup. And, and in all honesty, it was the case last year too. Who – you know, where was Ohapi traded for? He was the best prospect you traded last year. What was he traded for? He was traded for a guy who became your starting center fielder, mm-hmm. right? 
The other guys, they gave they gave up pieces, whatever. Okay, fine. But that was what the, the, the top prospect that they traded was for an everyday player. And I think that that's kind of the direction he's going to go for this year. He's going to be looking for a guy that can play regularly, whether it's the outfield, whether it's first base, whether it's third base, whatever. But whatever top, you know, whatever your highest prospect is that you're willing to trade, whether it's McGarry, whether it's Abel, whoever, that's who they're going to try to. That's who they're going to do. Use that piece for that. And if you go and trade for another pitcher or trade for another bench piece or trade for another bullpen arm, you're probably looking at other decent prospects who are having good years, like a Muziati, for example. Um, I'm not certain that they're going to give up on Johan Rojas. I, th- I know his name kind of came right. up, but I think I think that they really, really like him because of of the multiple tools that he has. Um, so I think that would be less of, of a willing participant to move. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but I mean, I think that those those guys get further you know, prospects down the line, or maybe even a Derek Hall plus a prospect kind of thing. Like who knows? But I do think that if you're going to move one of the pitchers, it's got to be for a, a bat. If you called uh, the Cubs and you start say you start talking about a guy like Stroman, and that's yeah. not where I'm going with this, and you say, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm just checking in, just just wanted to know what the conversation was. Anyway, we noticed that Cody Bellinger's having a good year, uh, and I know that I can play him at first base, and he can run around the outfield and still play pretty good, solid defense for me. Is, did he do anything for you? I hate Cody Bellinger. Do you just – do you hate the player or do you hate the, the I, I, person? No, I don't know the person at all. I, I don't like the player, right? So, no, I, I right. don't I, – I know he's having a somewhat of a bounce-back year. I never thought he was as good as he was at the when he was having those two, two, three big seasons with the Dodgers. I always thought he was a way overrated player with a giant hole in his swing, and it kind of blew me away that teams couldn't figure out how to pitch him. And then all of a sudden they did. <laughs> And he couldn't hit worth a damn. And now, yeah, has he adjusted a little bit and had a little bit of a bounce back? Sure. But no, it's another left-handed okay. bat who strikes out way too much, who doesn't doesn't impress me a little bit. And, and since uh, and I was actually going to go to this at the end of the show because I, I do want to go back into the Rays thing a little bit. Um, but since we're here and we're just, like, talking trades, uh, we saw it the past weekend, Candelario, Nationals, third base, not bad. What do you think? I'd rather have, Lo- think? I'd rather have Logan Thomas. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I would too. I'm just saying. If, how, they, how, how motivated will they be to move him? Well, though? he's I mean, 20. He's not like he's a kid. I know he's not a kid. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, that, so I look at that. If you're going to the Nationals, I would take Thomas and Manessis ahead of Candelario. Okay. Right. Just because they're, I mean, again, they're they're all of the similar age range. I don't think any of them kind of fit the timeline of the Nationals being good again. Um, and I think that the Nationals, at some point, they may not trade all of them here at the deadline, but at some point are going to have to move on from all three bats. I, I just think that those two guys fit the role that the Phillies need more than Candelario would. I, I like Candelario. I'm not knocking it. I mean, I would, I'm not going to say yeah. if the Phillies trade for Candelario, like, oh, man, they missed the boat. They could have gotten somebody right. else instead. I'm cool with getting Candelario. If you're just asking me to rank what I like better on Washington, I would go Thomas Manessis, then Candelario. Candelario uh, knocks Bryce Harper out of the first base equation too, right? Because, I mean, Alec Boehm, I'm not – when I throw that out there, you're saying, whoa, 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 what about Alec Boehm? I mean, I think Alec Boehm's playing first base for you at that point. Right, Okay, all right. So here's my takeaway from the race series, and we obviously talked before we started recording here. Those games to me, all three games had a playoff 
I don't want to say vibe because I didn't think they had a playoff vibe. I thought they had playoff pacing. I thought they were played like postseason games. Yeah, they were. There was really good baseball and between two pretty good teams. And I just the way, especially the Fourth of July looked, the way last night looked, like those those are the games you play in October. And so, why I'm excited about the Phillies, or why I'm kind of in on the Phillies at the moment. Sure, they swept the race. Sure, they've been good for over a month now. But I just look at the way that you get the starting pitching and then you see what this bullpen does late. And I go, wow, man, like that's postseason baseball. Get a good start. Be good on the back end. Get some timely hitting when you absolutely need it. And and that's how you're going to win games in the postseason. And I look at the Rays. I know how good the lineup's been all year. They were second in baseball coming into this series in runs per game at home. They were scoring about almost six runs per game at home. The Phillies held them to six runs over 29 innings this week. I guess, I guess for me, I just think there's so many different weapons out of this bullpen. And we've looked at the numbers and we've seen that they haven't been that good. And you're like, well, they're only kind of like league average. You guys keep talking about how good this bullpen is. Now you're really starting to see it. And one thing I wanted to flag specifically, because you were talking about the game last night and how there were all, and, and you're going to write this today, and I, I want you to kind of dig into this here. Some some guys that aren't the stars sort of were the difference makers last night. And one of those guys is Matt Strom, who we talked about him looking a little bit burned out. He looked like he was, I don't know, going through it. It, it certainly was going through a little bit of a rough patch. And I think he was tired. I think that some of the, uh, unpredictability in terms of how he was being utilized, whether he's starting games, multi innings, you know, it was, I think that he just was going through a, a, a little bit of a, a rut. So if you go and look at June, he gave up runs in five of his first six appearances last month. But since the 24th of June, he's pitching five games. He's thrown six and two thirds innings. He's only walked one batter. He struck out 11 and he more or less won the game for them last night. Um, uh, you know, you want to just talk about what your observation of of the game was and, and maybe just where you're sort of at on, on some of these, not stars, but these fringe piece supporting cast figures sort of really propping this team up right now. Well, I mean, just look at the just look at the box score last night. Right. I mean, yeah, Schwarber and Turner had two hits at the top of the lineup, which, you know, you, know, you normally, normally haven't been getting that at the top of the lineup. Um, but yeah. those guys came through yesterday. But. Look at look at three through six. They were all over. I mean, Castellanos had a bad game. Harper had a bad game. Uh, Bohm had a bad game. Stott had a bad game. Like they they didn't do a damn thing. Um, and it was you know you're watching that game and you're getting frustrated because you're sitting there saying, man, they're going to let this one slip away. The pitching is doing so great and and the offense just is not doing anything. I mean, first inning, I was sitting there like, here we go, first two guys on base. And then 0 for 3 with a runner in scoring position. Don't even get them to third, right? They can't don't even move the runner to third. And I'm like, yeah. this is going to be one of those nights again because that's how their approach is tonight, right? Um, so you look at the you look at the guys who did contribute. I mean, look, Derek Hall gets that home run off of a lefty. That's big. Um, Sanchez, we talked about him. You know, it,
dominates that 10th inning. I mean, just two strikeouts and, a, and then a ground out. And it's like, wow, that was something that I honestly was not expecting. I just wasn't expecting it. Um, and then you look at uh, uh, how he pitches the 11th inning. And yes, he, only, he does have a walk in there. But again, really, really good. The thing with Strom, Bob, and you mentioned his numbers, and it was I, it was smart to point it out when you did. But the one thing you didn't say was this. They gave him uh, a week off yeah. in there. Like yeah. he was given – he was – like you said, he was going through it. And then they just said, you know what? You're not you're not pitching for a week. We need to rest up that arm. And since that since that quote unquote reset is when he's been he's been really good again, like he was at the beginning of the year. Um, and it's the strikeouts that keep going up, right? I Me mean, had three strikeouts in two innings last night. He had uh, I think it's three straight appearances with multiple strikeout games. I remember the Cubs one. I think he had four strikeouts in that game. Um, and he's allowed one hit and one walk in in those in those yeah. appearances. That's how good he's been, right? So. So, yeah, I mean, you look at, you know, everybody always, and this is the thing, I, I got to give uh, Thompson and, and his staff some credit. You know, we we question sometimes, why are you going to this guy here? Why wouldn't you go to this guy? And and he constantly says, I'm mo- most concerned about the health of my players first and foremost. And he's going to make decisions based on that. And then when you see, when you take a time, you know, give it a little bit of time and then look at it and say, okay. He rested Strom for a week because they were worried about him getting maybe a little bit of arm fatigue or whatever. And then in his next five appearances, he's been lights out. So credit where credit's due. I mean, they made the right decision with him. Um, but it wasn't just him. Too. I mean, Marte had another great inning, uh, another high leverage inning, and he came out and pitched great again yesterday. Where was Junior Marte at the beginning of the year? Like he was a, a scrap heap guy that they brought in and, you know, you just saw him in spring training and you're like, oh, what? and then all of a sudden they start talking about him in spring training. It's like, really? Like this guy? After what we saw last year, like it was nothing and nothing special with this guy at the major league level. And then all of a sudden now he's pitching high leverage for you. You know, Jeff Hoffman came in and, and closed the door the other night. I mean, I know he had a more comfortable lead, but again, it was a good inning, you know, and where was Jeff Hoffman? Well, the ability to throw that inning where you don't have to go to one of your primary guys. Yeah. It, it, that's what's really important. Like the, the fact that they haven't had to just go, not only are they winning these games, but they, they haven't had to bleed these, these primary relievers these high leverage guys every single night to do it and that's been huge well that's also why kimbrell's been as good as he's been he was pitcher of the month in in june um okay. in the national league uh you don't win that award slight you know i we were we all thought it was going to be suarez or walker <laughs> and it ended up being kimbrell right he ends up being the pitcher of the month um and and it but it's smart just how they're using the back of the bullpen they're they they are getting more production from the bullpen by using them less, if that makes sense. Sure. <laughs> you know that what I mean? A lot of They're, sense. Yeah. yeah. So it's, so it's really, but I, I think the, the having the depth that they have allows them to, to approach it that way. So you're not overtaxing all these big arms and that they can keep the bullets, you know, in the chamber a little bit longer. And then when they come out, they come out firing. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, and 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 speaking of Kimbrel, he had a good inning last night. But I I just want to just throw a little a little shout out to our, you know, our new best friend Garrett Stubbs, sure. who at one point Kimbrel has a pitch that I don't know how it wasn't called a strike. I mean, it was Bob that pitch was it was yeah. dead over the plate. I mean, yeah, it was, was so over the plate and he and, and and it was more frustrating because 
he threw called a strike on Castellanos in the top of the inning that was a clear ball, almost hit the dirt, and he called it a strike. And then that pitch is clear over the plate, and then home plate umpire calls it a ball. And it's like, are you kidding me? What the hell with this? And then, you know, you could tell Kimbrell was so annoyed. His next two pitches, he just yanked fastballs. They were nowhere close to the plate. He was so frustrated. And then he was about to get dinged with another pitch clock violation. Stubbs notices the clock, calls timeout, goes out to the mound for a mound visit, brief conversation, almost settles him down, and then Kimbrell comes back and just you know gets the out. And that's it's little things like that that you don't even think about, you don't talk about, and coming from contributions coming from guys who aren't your best players, that's what makes a very good team. And that's why you got to like what the Phillies have right now and, and why why you should be excited about them going forward because of little things like that, that these kind of players can contribute that don't often get talked about. You talked about the productivity of the bullpen increasing since they haven't had to pitch quite as much and, and as consistently, uh, consistently. Listen, you go back to June 1st. Philly starters have a 3.02 ERA. It's the second best ERA in all of baseball. You go back to June 1st, the bullpen, fourth best ERA in all of baseball. I mean, and when you talk about, oh, why are we excited about the Phillies? You get two units with top five production for a sustained period, and it doesn't feel like it's a fluke. Like, Do I think that Taiwan Walker is going to be as good you know, the following six weeks as he has been the previous six? No. Do I think that there could be some regression in Ranger Suarez's game? Yeah, maybe. But I also think that, that Aaron Nola can be a little bit better than he's been. And I think Zach Wheeler can certainly be better than he's been. So I, I think that there's some room for regression here, but I also think that there's some room for the, the other two guys to take a step forward. And as a unit, altogether, I think that they should continue to produce – if you said, hey, from June, uh, July 7th through August 15th, well, the Phillies have one of the seven best starting rotations in, in baseball, I would say yes. Like, I think that that is something that I would bet on right now. And do I think that this bullpen is going to be one of the five best bullpens in baseball over the next six weeks? I, I do. So to have that type of balance and have that many weapons from start to finish is why I think that this team is so dangerous. And that is even acknowledging the inconsistencies, uh, the inconsistencies offensively, still kind of waiting for a lineup with some superstars and, and some big time players that have a long track record of production that haven't really met the moment all the time this season. Like you still feel like there's a little bit more in the tank there. So we'll see. But I think that when you look at forward, that's why you're optimistic about what might be to come, let alone the schedule sort of lightening up a little bit, all the home games. I think that there's a lot of good things with the Phillies here where you feel really, really strong about the way this might play out. One thing I do want to touch on uh, before we kind of get to one last thing and wrap here, uh, Jose Alvarado. So before he went on the injured list, he threw 14 of third innings, nine hits, zero walks. We kept talking about the, the just the command, how, uh, how good he had been. And the, his his command has always been a little bit of of uh you know has been the knock on him and he just had been so good down the stretch last year and it carried over to the start of this year. Since he's come back though from from the injured list, he's thrown a little over eleven innings. He's allowed nine hits. He's been pretty hittable. I'm sorry, twelve hits and he's walked nine. I mean, there's been a ton of base runners. And to his credit. He still has a 2-3-1 ERA since he's returned. So he's been able to pitch out of jams. He's limited the damage. 
He's done a good job, all things considered. He had a great sequence last night against Wander Franco, the 11-pitch at bat. He wins it. He's still been really good, but he's sort of reverted back to that that tightrope walk that that we saw for for his first the, the better part of two years in Philadelphia. Do you have any level of concern with what we've seen from Jose Alvarado since he's returned from the injured list? I wouldn't call it concern, but I I do think that there's it is something that you got to continue to keep an eye on because it could eventually burn them. Um, the walks are what bothers me more than the hits. The hits, look, guy throws 100 miles an hour. Major league hitters are going to time that up eventually, and they're going to get hits, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing of it is, is that as long as he's not giving up big hits, then that's then it's okay. I don't mind so much that you give up the hits, and he's still getting strikeouts, so it's not like he's not striking guys out. So he still got that, you know, swing and miss uh, in his pitches. It's the it's the walks that are starting to be a, a, a thing that I'm like, okay. You know, I know one of them last night was on an at bat where he thought he had the guy struck out. You know, if you go by the if you go by the square that's on the screen, which is not always accurate, it was a ball, but it was close. Mm-hmm. It was really close. Um, he thought it. Stubbs thought it. I mean, you could just see by their reactions they thought they had the guy struck out, and then he ends up walking him. Right? Okay. So maybe one of those walks last night, you, you kind of say he got screwed. But the other one was not, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's a thing. It's like, okay, let's let's not get ourselves into these constant Mitch Williams type situations, <laughs> right? Where we're where we're sitting there with a towel over our head, like Kurt Schilling, you know, wondering if he's going to get out of it every time. You'd like there to be some more dominant innings, and yes, every once in a while, these kind of innings are going to happen, and that's fine. But you want to see some consistency of like a come in, come in and go one two three goodbye, you know that that's there's Alvarado doing what he does. So that that's what I'd like to see over the you know the next little bit. I'd like to see him get some of those innings back. So I wouldn't call it a level of concern, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Make sure it doesn't get out of you know out of hand. All right, well let's hit it with one last thing before we get out of here. I don't have a great one last thing today, Bob. I do, but I do. This is what I want to ask you and it's stuff that we've talked about in the past but i want to look at it a little bit more holistically kind of like a from a big picture you look around look at we've been talking about the standings right we've been talking about where teams are and you look around baseball and i i find it absolutely fascinating that the majority of the big money teams are not where they thought they'd be and this includes the Phillies a little bit. I mean, obviously, I mean, look, they're playing great baseball right now, and they're in a playoff spot right now, but I don't think that they expected to be in third place behind the Marlins and 11 games out of first, right? So if you look at the look at the big money teams, the Yankees, they're eight games out of first place, right? I, I know the Blue Jays aren't a big money team, but they were a high expectation team. They're also eight games out of first place. Um yeah, the, the I mean, the Angels are technically a big money team, and they're falling apart again, right? They're six yeah. and a half out. They're fading out of the picture. In the National League, you got the Mets, who have been, a, you know, we've documented them. They're an abject disaster, uh, although they've won five in a row here to start July, and now everybody thinks that they're going to be good again, and it's not going to happen. Trust me, they're, they're not. Um, and then you look at the Padres. You know, they're, on, you know, they're not doing well. The, we've documented the Cardinals as bad as they are. Like, wh- why is it? that in baseball this year the big money's not working and the teams that are you know maybe not as a little bit more under the radar as far as finances 
are the teams that are finding success. I mean, I, I didn't even mention the Dodgers. The Dodgers are, are you know, not themselves this year. They're Even though they're in second place, um, they're just not quite the same team. Like, wh- what do you think is the reason that these teams are just completely not what they expected to be? It could be a little bit coincidental. It could be a, a strange year or to borrow a uh, phrase from – from Jason Kelsey, uh, hungry dogs run faster. I mean, is it possible that, you know, guys get paid and they they don't have the same edge? Is it possible that guys get paid and they feel the the weight of expectation uh, the way that we've seen here in recent years with Trey Turner, with Nick Castellanos? And, you know, certainly Nick's talked about, uh, you know, coming to a, a certain, a, a new town, a new city. You know, people talk about the contract. Maybe maybe that's not just unique to here. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of that going on. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's certainly interesting, and I don't know that it's it's great for the players in that teams can start to use this. Like if this doesn't sort of correct itself, teams will say, well, "Listen, yeah, like we get it. Like you're worth this, but we're just not going to build our team this way because history tells us that we can be the we can be mid market. We, we can spend a little, but we don't have to go crazy, and we're gonna." Just develop, 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 and that's the way we're going to build our team because that's how you win. I mean, I don't know. Do you think at all the, 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 the way that the game has changed this year with the rules and everything, do you think that has any impact on it? Well, how would it? I mean, I, I guess uh, it's it, it, from this question, so you have a hypothesis here. I'm interested to hear it. So a lot of the teams that are finding success are your younger teams. Right, who are you know don't have big money? They brought some prospects up. I could look at like look at the Diamondbacks, look at the Marlins, look at the Reds. I mean, these kinds of teams, right? This is what I'm talking about. Um, and and they haven't gone out and spent a ton of money, and yet they're finding this success. And I'm not trying to knock the talent, but these kids have been playing with these rules in the minor leagues yeah. for a few years. Yeah. So it's it's not it's nothing that they're adjust have to adjust to. They're used to it. Whereas these teams who are spending big money. Uh, on veteran free agents and veteran players who've played at the major league level for several years, all of a sudden have to do things differently. And maybe they don't do them as well as they do. Do you think there's a correlation between salary and buy-in to the rules? Like the more established and the more big name I am, because forget just that they haven't played with these rules or they have for a while, but just I'm player X, I'm making 22 million a year fuck these rules like do well, you think I, that there's a little bit of that i look, look at kimbrell kimbrell does not give a shit that he yeah. gets called constantly for a, a pitch clock violation yeah. he doesn't care he's like screw it this rule i hate this rule it sucks i'm just gonna go all right you gave me throwing call me ball on me call a ball on me what the hell yeah like i mean he's gonna keep pitching the way he wants to pitch and yeah i do i so i do think that you're onto something there i do think that part of it is you know i don't need to go by these rules i'm who i am you know, yeah. and and I mean, you know, you hear guys talk. I mean, not so much anymore, but early in the season, they were like, "Yeah, we, we hate it. We're gonna you know, we want to take back our game." Bryce Harper, right? Like, I, I do think that that element exists um, with with veteran players. It's funny. It's because veteran quote unquote veteran players. We're talking guys in their late twenties, early thirties, early to mid thirties. They're the old men yelling at cloud. Uh, in baseball, which we right. kind of turned one last thing was kind of turned into an old man yell at cloud kind of thing, right? So I think that that's what that's become. Well, check back uh, with me at the end of the year because maybe there has been may, maybe some of these players have adapted at this point and moving forward, you're going to see the, the scale sort of tilt back the other way. Like it's not outside the realm of possibility that come come October, it's the Phillies, it's the Padres, it's the Dodgers, the Yankees get hot down the stretch. I mean, you know, we'll see. And by the way, you talk about two underachieving big money teams. 
this is a very big weekend for the New York Mets and the San Diego Padres. They play one another this weekend. You're going into the break. You have a chance to kind of feel good about yourself because if the team that wins the series this weekend can at least kid themselves for the next week that we figured it out, here we come. You know, both teams will enter the series 41 and 46. One of these teams gets swept this weekend. It's absolutely over. The team that loses two out of three, I think, starts to think to themselves, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're probably in trouble here. I'm not saying that their, their season is, is donezo, but you start to look at the standings, you look at the math, and you say it's going to take a crazy run to really get up off the mat at that point. Padres win that series. Okay. Uh, so I'm locking in the Padres to win the series on DraftKings when we're lock done. It, lock it in. And yeah. here's the, the last thing I'll say about things for this weekend. Phillies have a chance. I know. To go into the All-Star break as the top wildcard team. Yeah. Can, yep. Imagine imagine saying that a few weeks ago. Yep, I know. I know. We'll see. We'll see. Just saying. Should be, a, should be a good weekend. All I ask of the Phillies here is to just not get swept. That's that's the ask on my end heading into the All-Star break. You win this series, though, and you're what? A game and a half behind Miami, and I think you're feeling pretty good about your ability to catch them uh, you know, once the second half gets underway. Yep. All right, well, listen, for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. Thank you for listening to Crossed Up. Check us out on YouTube. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that you get your shows. And you can also follow us on Twitter. Show account is at UpPhillies. Follow Anthony on Twitter at AntsanPhilly, and you can follow me at Bob Wankel CB. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you on Monday morning after a three-game set with the Phillies and Miami Marlins.